Happy birthday, America. Oh, I see what you did there. I mean, it's really late, honestly, by the time this comes out. I know, but it's the month of. It is technically the month of, so. We started the beginning of the month and work our way through, Nick. It feels like so far in the past now, but it is, I guess it's not. Uh, Well, how's everybody doing? I'll wait for a response. Yeah, we're all great. Thank you. Everybody's doing great. Uh, Welcome back to the year in music, uh, 1967. That is this year. And I'll tell you, it feels like we haven't done this in forever. I know it really does. I feel it because I feel like we did it in like earlier on in June. The very beginning, and, and now, now this is the end of July. July. You know what? So. Let's just record the August one tomorrow. I'll have it ready. Perfect. Yeah, there we go. Uh, well, um, if you have been hanging out with us through this series, <clears throat> you will know that we are going month by month and reviewing the year 1967 as it pertained to music. And oh, to a lesser extent, culture. culture a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mostly music, but it's hard. It's hard to go through a year and not talk about the cultural impacts of that year, right. especially is, a year as charged as nineteen sixty-seven. Exactly, exactly. And that continues through July. Just I, in case you were thinking, maybe it didn't. <laughs> I would have expected nothing less. Yeah, there are a lot of through lines. I think July we're going to be covering a lot of uh, you know continuing stories from earlier in the series. Sure. So if you need to re-listen to any of the other months, there will definitely be uh, you know things that you need to know. It's it's you have to do it in order. Yeah, definitely go do that. And if you'll notice, you have to scroll through all these other episodes to find the year in music. Ah. Listen to those too. Those are the actual Totem Talks podcast um, that we do every week. And uh, as of this current season five we're on, uh, we stream it live on Twitch. That is correct. Uh, which is interesting so far. We're three episodes in at the time of this recording. It's been going well. Uh, so, yeah, check us out. Check out our socials, which are linked uh, on every single info dump in podcast episodes. And that'll have when we're streaming. Well, I usually make a post and I'm like, hey, we're going live, you know, this week. Check it out. We do it Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. Yes, an excellent time. Eastern, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, a great point, great point. It's good to know that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, can I begin? Not only can you, you should begin. Okay, perfect. Uh, because we got to start with one of those continuing stories that we've been kind of uh, peeking in on throughout the year. Because uh, July opens and closes with our Rolling Stones drug bust story. Yes, uh, okay. And on the 1st... This um, the saga continues with a edit an editorial that's that's published in the Times of London by the editor William Rees Mogg, uh, who is a you know a well respected figure over there. Uh, who um, I think his son is is involved in politics too, but it's like one of those families. Okay. Um, so he wrote this editorial called "Who Breaks a Butterfly on a Wheel," which was super influential on the case. Um, and really on the way that the British government had to start facing the facts of the counterculture um, going forward from this point. Okay. Because they could no longer pretend that it wasn't happening. They had to, like, just, you know, hey, this is what the music is like now. These are the things going on in culture that are associated with that this music. These are the political ideals that are becoming involved. Like, you can't just pretend, oh, that's just the kids in the riffraff anymore. Like, real life is happening. Sure, sure, uh, sure. 
So uh, essentially, his argument is you are taking Mick Jagger because he's a public figure and you're trying to make an example out of him, right? They're giving him overly harsh punishments um, for what the drug offenses that he was actually charged with would really warrant in the British system. Right. Uh, so basically, he's saying you're trying to send this message when you would never have pursued these types of charges against any anonymous person, and you're basically uh, delegitimizing the British criminal justice system by holding people who are famous to different standards. Um, and that ended up, of course, being really influential in how the case will turn out, which I'll talk about on July 31st, uh, because that's <laughs> when we get that official ruling. Very interesting, because I yeah. think mostly throughout history and culture... It's the exact opposite. Yeah, like, right. People oh, are like, oh, your sure. celebrities are getting treated better, not worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there's a, a pretty solid argument that uh, money, power, and influence uh, are pretty pretty solid shields from uh, legal ramifications. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So, anyway, moving on to the second of July, uh, I've got. I've got a bad news and I've got a good news. Do you have a preference as to which one you'd like to hear first? I mean, I think we start with the bad news and cheer up with the good I, news. I'm always, I agree. And that's how I wrote it in here, but I figured I'd ask. Uh, so July 2nd was the day that the U.S. Marines suffered the worst single-day loss of the entire Vietnam War, with 84 soldiers killed, 9 missing, and 190 wounded, a total of 283 casualties in one day. Wowza. Yeah. That's, that's Vietnam for you. Yeah. But good. Good. I now, have good news now. Yeah, what's the now good that news? you've heard that, there was a super cool concert that was held uh, at London's Seville Theater that night. Okay. Uh, where Cream was the headlining act, and they were being supported by both John Mayall and the Blues Breakers and the Jeff Beck group. So wow. would have been a super cool show uh, to go see at the time where you get, you get to hear some pretty I mean, I gotta legendary hit it with musicians. The, I got to hit it. Because there were multiple True. multiple people yes. who done. Ab right. But it would be really kind of one of those awesome shows to to go and see and see all those guys play together, Beck and Clapton, uh, you know, at both in the same concert, getting some great guitar work there. But then we'll move along. We'll keep rolling on to July 5th. And I've got a little bit more of the um, music festival scene here for you. Okay. This is a much less popular festival but it did start in 1967 it was called the schaefer music festival um which it takes place in new york central park it was called the schaefer festival from 67 to 76 then dr pepper bought the naming rights in 77 it moved to pier 84 out of central park in 81 it was eventually the the festival was retired in 1990 but gotcha it was uh, very different in the sense that it wasn't a ton of acts all at once over the course of a couple of days. It was sort of like, here's one or two acts this day. Here's one or two acts the other day. And it would go on throughout the summer. Interesting. A um, long, long so, form. Yeah, it was like a long form festival with like dates, a couple dates a week. Um, it was very weird as I was trying to look up like who played which year because then yeah. all of a sudden I got like... Tw after so the first year there were only two days. Every year after that, so... If we were doing 68 or any other year after, it would just be like, all right, and then on July 5th, and then on July 6th, and then on July 12th, and then on <clears throat> right. but, um, we got away from that. But before I tell you who played it, um, 
weird story, and I'll just kind of quote from the article I got it from. So the festival was sponsored by Rheingold Breweries until 1968, when the task was handled by F&M Schaefer Brewing Company. The cost of the annual music festival was about half a million dollars, and they charged $1 ticket prices per person, okay? But that was only expected to bring in about a quarter of a million dollars, or maybe 270000 at most, which means that the Schaefer Brewing Company had to pick up over $200,000 in additional costs um, as the sponsor of the event. So... They were like, what do we even do about this? Because we can't just lose a bunch of money. But the idea of raising the prices from $1 to $2 apparently would have been way too expensive for most people at the time because of how much $2 was then. So they didn't know like how to end up raising that money. But I I mean, it all worked out. I guess Schaefer either ponied up or found like a a middle ground in ticket pricing because it did go on for, for several decades. But it was one of those things where it seemed like they maybe were were losing a little bit on it. Well, maybe that's why they really extended the length. Yeah, maybe that they could were be like, it. "Well, people yeah. go one dollar a week. If if sure. we get five dollars out of two hundred seventy thousand people instead of one dollar yeah. over the course mm-hmm. of a summer." Yeah, that could <laughs> that could work. So, so the festival this year took place on the fifth and the seventh, uh, and on the fifth, the concert was uh, there was a folk singer named Len Chandler who played. The Young Rascals and the Jimi Hendrix Experience were all there. On okay, the okay. Yeah. So you get some good ones in there. Yeah, for and sure. And then on the seventh, you're gonna love this. It was only one act. It was our boy Phil Oaks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely so was, love that. Of course, you got to. You got to give him his due. Uh, but there were interesting ones. So I, I did look through for the rest of the years, but. And they had everything. They had folk singers. They had rock musicians. They had bands like The Who. But then they would also have like Duke Ellington and Miles Davis and a bunch of other. So it was very uh, interesting. They had a, a wide variety. Like you could definitely, whoever you are, you could go and pick your days and find something that was like really cool for you. Sure. Awesome. All right. So rolling right along through the month. We're at July 12th now. Wow. We're moving and, quick. Uh, I'm going to, again, quote a little from the article here. But if there's something you'll remember from June, it was a very hot summer. uh, And that often is correlated, at least, with uh, more violence, heat and violence. Uh, So five more days of rioting that would ultimately claim 23 lives began in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, So it all was based on an incident with police, um, which took place at the corner of 15th Avenue and South 9th Street. There was a black taxi cab driver named John Smith who was arrested by two police officers. Um, there was, and it's, you know, it's all he said, she said at this point. This That's what this person who saw it says. that. Um, but there was a scuffle. There was an argument. Smith, um, the uh, taxi cab driver who was being arrested, sustained a broken rib uh, and was taken to the 4th Precinct Station House. And it was around 9.30 p.m. when people saw him either refusing to walk or too injured and unable to walk being dragged out of the police car and into the station so the rumors started spreading and you know people talk as one from the other and all of a sudden a crowd was marching to on newark city hall uh and what started as a totally non-violent protest uh but within minutes police and marchers were hit by rocks um 
an attempt was made to disperse the crowd, and a riot began. Um, and it didn't end until, and this started on the 12th, it ended on the 17th. But by the time it was over, 21 black residents of Newark were dead, including six women and two children, along with one white policeman and a one white fireman. Okay. Well, that's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot, but that is definitely one of the key themes uh, of the summer of 67 are these uh, riots based on racial incidents. Um, and it's definitely an important part of shaping the culture because, as we discussed in June, this was happening all the time. Yeah. Like, every day somewhere there was a city where something like this was happening. So. Well, that's uh, – <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> – I know that was heavy. <clears throat> There's heavy stuff in here, but I can lighten it up. I've got a lot of stuff to lighten it up. If that would make you feel better, yeah, man, I need it. Okay, so in bet- during the time of that uh, of the writing, on the 14th of July, the Bee Gees' first album, their debut called Bee Gees First, uh, is released in the UK. And here's the thing about the Bee Gees' first album: it's their third album. Uh, <laughs> I love it. it. I know. I know. But it is their first international release. So the first two albums that they did release were only Australia and New Zealand. And then Bee Gees First, which was their third, was the first one that became available worldwide and was released Good. All, all over. And uh, Pat, I'm going to tell you this. It was like a Baroque pop and psychedelic rock album that was like mid-era Beatles, but just like not as good, but not bad at all. Like it was better than I expected by quite a bit. Fascinating. Um, yeah, it's not what you would think of when you think of the Bee Gees at all. Like, well, you if you're by the way I'm moving, woke. Yeah, right. <clears throat> so my advice to you would be just Google the album art of Bee Gees first. Just take a look at that art, and literally everything you need to know about what that album sounded like will become very clear to you. Interesting. Uh, yeah, like you can right oh, away see. Oh, yeah. It's, it is super trippy. Very yeah. psychedelic looking. Uh, it's interesting. It's cool. Uh, but it's just, you know, not what anyone thought was going to happen. When you think of the Bee Gees in retrospect, at least. Sure. Now, I have some more good news. Um, because the Righteous Brothers... Well, actually, this has nothing to do with the Righteous Brothers. Uh, their keyboardist. Their keyboardist, uh, Roy, became a dad on the 16th. So, happy paternity to keyboardist for the Righteous Brothers, Roy Farrell. Uh, he named his son, of course, John. That uh, and <laughs> is that not doing anything for you? I was I was gonna say Will. Oh yeah, John is better known by his middle name, which is William. Yeah. Will Ferrell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Will Ferrell was born on the sixteenth, but his dad was the keyboard player for the Righteous Brothers, which I never would have <laughs> known until. I mean, you know? Will Ferrell is very musically inclined. People don't. Very know that. true. You're you're absolutely right, but would you have known that his dad was the no, keyboardist for the I Righteous Brothers? <laughs> of course not. Okay, we're going a whole other day ahead. It's the seventeenth, Pat, and I hate to do this to you. Oh, okay. I have to go with bad news again, like oh. some of the worst news of the month. Okay. But then it gets very weird and interesting. So I'm going to start with the seventeenth. There's no way around it. John Coltrane died on uh, July 17th of 1967. Uh, He died of liver cancer. He was only 40 years old. However, based on what we know, his history of of drinking and drug abuse, he had hepatitis for a while. That hepatitis 
eventually can lead to liver cancer, that inflammation of the liver. Um, and so unfortunately that's what he passed of, uh, a lot of people did not even like know that that was happening. Like Miles yeah. Davis was quoted as being like totally shocked. Like I know John didn't look good, but I had no idea he was even that that sick or that he had anything that serious at all. I thought he was just like wasn't looking good. Maybe using again or this or that. Um, but here's what I didn't know. And again, I'll quote from the article that I that I borrowed this from. Okay. After Coltrane's death, a congregation called the Yardbird Temple in San Francisco began worshiping him as God incarnate. The group really? was named after Charlie Parker, the jazz musician who was whose nickname was Yardbird. Yeah. Uh, whom they equated to John the Baptist. The congregation was affiliate or did become affiliated with the African Orthodox Church. Oh, I did which know involved, this part. Yeah. But okay. And it involved changing Coltrane's status from a god to a saint. Yeah. Uh, so the resultant Saint John Coltrane African Orthodox Church in San Francisco is the only African Orthodox Church that incorporates Coltrane's music and lyrics as prayers in its liturgy, uh, because Which is he is considered a saint. Yeah, totally I did know that John Coltrane was a canonized saint in the African Orthodox yeah. Church. Mm-hmm. I did not know that he was worshipped as a god previously yeah. to that. Yeah, and he said before his death, like what he hoped, what where he would hope to be in five years or something, and he said like he hoped to be a saint. So wow. he got what he wished for. Um, and there yeah. is a documentary. I didn't watch it. I just kind of found out about it earlier today um, called The Church of St. Coltrane that if you're at all further interested in how that all developed, it's a relatively short documentary from what I've read. Um, so The Church of St. Coltrane, uh, if you want to learn more about that. Yeah, I'll now, have to check that out. Yeah, it, it's super fascinating. But on the on the brighter side of things, a new Temptations album also came out that day. Okay. okay. So The Temptations with a lot of soul. Uh, however... <clears throat> I will say, not as a critique of the album, because the Temptations are very lovely. There's one of the songs on this album was a really big hit that I knew right away, which is I Know I'm Losing You. However, that was released as a single like nine months prior and was just kind of tacked on as the first song on the record. So there was nothing new that was like a super recognizable big one of their songs. Sure. I mean, definitely some other hits in there, but like uh, as far as the many Temptations hits that have really stood the test of time and are, are very popular to this day... I know I'm losing you was the only one, and it was it had been around the block before that album came out. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> yeah. Now, what happens next? There's a lot of rumor and speculation in here, and uh, according to different sources that I read, this officially happened on July 16th, 17th, and 18th. It could have only happened on one of those days. Okay. So I'm just letting you know that the sources differed on this. So... Just to, just to build a little context here. If I told you a band that we've talked a lot about on this series is the Monkees. Very true. Who do you think would be a good opening act for the Monkees? Just thinking about them and, you know, what kind of music they did. Is there anyone you think would be really good to, like, to go with them? Huh. At the time, I'm sure there were so many. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, a, a, a good, fun opening Maybe, like... I could see Strawberry Alarm Clock doing it, Nick. I could okay. see them. So a little goofy, maybe a little, a little trippy wonky. for the a regular monkeys audience, yeah. but but fun. Yeah. Okay. So if I told you the worst possible opening act for the monkeys uh, would be Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that was happening throughout July. There was a tour where the monkeys were the headliner and the Jimi Hendrix experience was the opening act. Monkeys must have felt um, real weird. So- 
Honestly, the reason why it happened was mostly because the monkeys were looking for an opener. Hendrix was huge in the UK, but like still just starting to get his legs in the United States because uh, he, he blew up over there first. Um, and they all just wanted to see him play. Like they were super excited to to be with the Hendrix experience and, and see the <laughs> right. show he put on every night. Um, but either on the 16th, 17th, or 18th, he just had to up and quit the tour, and he was not on it for very long. Okay. Now, the popular rumor uh, was that Hendrix was forced to leave because of complaints from the DAR, the Daughters of the American Revolution, because they were protesting Hendrix's performance because they were too erotic, they were too sexualized. But that's not actually true at all. That was just a rumor that was popularized about this. However, the re- I mean, what really happened was just kind of almost what you would expect. The musical differences were just so much that the Monkees audience did not get Hendrix at all. No. And every night he'd go out there and just kill it, and he'd be playing Purple Haze and Fire, and the audience would be screaming, We want the Monkees! We want the Monkees! And, like, this was happening to him everywhere. Could you imagine going to see the... Go, getting to see the Jimi Hendrix experience and being like, ugh, if only this were the monkeys instead. I I just, oh my god. Yeah. I mean, what an ego boost for the monkeys. <laughs> yeah. What a and Hendrix, like, let's be real, like he vocally did not enjoy the monkeys' music. That was not what he was about. But he took the job because he took the job. Um, but he just had so many like night after night. The audience is just not being interested, not being ready, uh, that he was just like, I can't do it anymore. And he left the tour because he was getting booed and yelled at constantly, which is just mind boggling to think of Jimmy. Like, what a privilege those people had to see the Jimi Hendrix experience and yeah. just couldn't be bothered. It just goes to show <sighs> you sometimes you don't know what you've got. You Until don't know the gone. opportunities that you're, are in front of you. Yes. That's wild. Yeah. That's so I know. I know. Now, Pat, I've got something for July 21st, and I'm going to be honest with you. This has nothing to do with anything. Good. But I read this entrance on Wikipedia, <coughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't not include it. So I'm just going to read it for you verbatim, and okay. I'll let you react. July 21st. Yeah. The town of Wincone, Wisconsin, announced secession from the state of Wisconsin, though not from the United States, because it had not been included in the official maps in an omission from the map uh, blamed on the artist's oversight, and they issued a mock declaration of war. The events, which included raising a state flag, took place while tourists were in town to watch the Midwest regional outboard mo- uh, motorboat races. Town Mayor James Coughlin was named president of the new American state, and Town Chamber of Commerce leader Vera Kitchen was proclaimed the prime minister. The secession, which proved a financial success for the community, ended officially on July 23rd at noon. Wow. Good for them. Yep. Good for them. Just being a state for a couple days. For just two days, Wincone, Wisconsin was not Wisconsin. They were their own state. The state uh, of Wincone. And they declared war on Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> wow. So that's the thing that happened. And Ooh. I'm just so glad that I know. And now, of course, the... The secession ended on July 23rd because the full might of the United States government descended upon Wincombe and and leveled the town slash state. Uh, well, you know, that didn't happen, Pat, but A declaration of war on American state and there was no military response? So here's it was a mock declaration of war. They weren't actually <laughs> fighting. But here's the thing. Like, 
you a little bit transitioned to me into the other thing that happened on July twenty oh, third. No, I don't want to do that. It was it was another riot, the Twelfth Street riot, which is one of the most violent in the United States history. Yeah. Began uh, in inner city Detroit. <clears throat> uh, over five days, forty three people were killed. Eleven hundred and eighty nine were injured. Over seven thousand were arrested. Twenty five hundred buildings were burned, with an estimated loss of thirty six million in insured property. Which, by the way, uh, in twenty twenty two dollars is about three hundred and two million, um, and millions more lost in uh, property that didn't have insurance. Not to mention wages, income, government costs, all those things. Um, it, the, so, what had happened was there was a raid at three fifty a.m. on uh, the United Community and Civic League having an illegal after hours liquor operation uh, in an apartment on Twelfth Street. Police from Detroit's 10th Precinct uh, closed six weeks of preparation with the arrest of 82 people who were having a party for two veterans who had recently returned from the Vietnam War. While the police were making the arrests, a crowd gathered to watch, and as the last of the prisoners were loaded into cars, someone whose name may never be known picked an empty bottle off the street and, from the protection of the crowd, hurled it toward the building. The bottle smashed through the rear window of a squad car, and within moments... More people were throwing bottles, breaking windows, looting businesses, and right as soon as that one thing happened, the one person decided to throw a bottle, and there we were five days later with 43 people dead and nearly 1,200 injured. And Wow. That's, uh, yeah. Sometimes it's just that small of a thing. Right. And of the 43 people who were killed, uh, 33 of them were were black and only 10 were white. Um, So... Uh, oh, and one National Guardsman uh, was also killed. So that's that. Yeah, that And happened. then on the 24th, in response to that, the Yardbirds released the album Little Games. <laughs> in response. I, <laughs> I don't think it was in response. Uh, <laughs> but it was their first album as a four-piece group with Jimmy Page as the lead guitarist and Chris Dreha switching over to bass. So um, what's actually very cool about this record, which is otherwise like, you know, a fine Yardbirds record. It's not a not a huge deal. Yeah. Uh, but there's a song on it called White Summer, which is a page guitar instrumental that's like very heavily Eastern music influenced. Okay. And that song he actually would incorporate into Zeppelin sets quite frequently, playing White Summer and then right into Black Mountainside from Zeppelin One. Uh cool, which cool. was very a very cool little uh, guitar thing that he could do. Now that was always a very cool guitar thing that he could do. Yeah, he does. He does some very cool. <laughs> he does some good pieces. playing that guitar. Uh, yeah, I agree. All right, the twenty seventh. Now, Pat, something something happened in the UK again. This is this is like kind of the the culture fights that are that are going on here. Yeah, and something called the Sexual Offenses Act of nineteen sixty seven officially goes into effect in the United Kingdom. Would you like to guess what that did? The Sexual Offenses Act. It sounds like it would it would outlaw sexual offenses. You would think. It sounds like it would make sexual offenses a criminal offense. But you couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, that's what I was worried about. Mm-hmm. I was a little concerned it would be the opposite. Well, what had, had happened was mm-hmm. this was the bill that legalized homosexuality in the UK. Well, not in the UK, actually. I should be very clear. 
This is when homosexuality was legalized in England and Wales. This act did not apply to Scotland or Northern Ireland. Okay. It did not apply to anyone below the age of 21. Even though the age of consent in the UK, I think I read, was 16, it only applied to uh, men 21 and over. Okay. So if you were 20 still, sorry, being gay was still illegal. And also, it did not apply to women. Only applied to men. So if you were a gay woman, illegal. Wow. Okay. Still. Okay. Bizarre. Very strange. Just a weird Um, bill all around. A weird bill all around. Almost like as if the lawmakers the, were all men over 21 who didn't yeah, have to worry exactly. about the, the things right, happening, exactly. applying to it them. Is, it is the halfest of half measures, um, but it, that's what it was. That's what happened. I mean, it's it, like progress, I guess? I guess. I guess. I guess it, it just progress happens like it's very, hard, very, it's hard, very slowly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to like really pat them on the back for all the stuff they I, missed. But I know. But at the same time, like... It's you better know, than nothing. It's better than nothing. It's better than Not it's still being illegal for everyone everywhere. Yeah. I know. Illegalize being a person. It's like, oh, brown hair is illegal until the Brown Hair Offense Act of 1967. <laughs> In which case, once you were 21, you could dye your hair brown. Unless you were a woman. Yeah, no women, no women <laughs> with brown hair. And if you go to Scotland, you have to dye it blonde or red. But it can't be brown. Um... All right, let me just wrap things up here with because we're at the thirty first now, and uh, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards had their jail sentences revised, so um, they appealed. The three member appeals tribunal, um, Lord Parker was the head of it, for whatever that matters. They made the decision um, essentially as long as you keep out of trouble for the next year, uh, what's happened will not be on your record as a conviction. So it was pretty much over. Message received. They're good. Uh, again, largely, um, at least the pressure from the culture was on them from the first of the month in that who breaks a butterfly on a wheel uh, op-ed really made a big difference in the perception of this uh, and helped them to get off, which is good. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right, and now I have for you other albums released and some births. Do you have a preference? For, uh, give, me, give me the albums, then the births. You normally do births and albums, to. I think. We do. So I've got one with a definitive date, which was also the 31st, and it was the Young Rascals Groovin, which we listened to and reviewed on the regular yes, version of the podcast. Yes, we did. Uh, I got two more that we listened to and reviewed on the podcast recently. Uh, Reach Out by The Four Tops came oh, out this okay. month. Uh, the eponymous debut of the band Canned Heat oh. also came out. And then you had uh, Wilson Pickett's The Sound of Wilson Pickett, Let's Live for Today by The Grassroots, and Triangle by The Bo Brummels. And then we have births. Starting with the 12th of July, John Petrucci of Dream Theater was birthed into the world. Fascinating. Thank goodness we have him. Uh, And then on the 18th, someone who I have chosen to include because they have technically released music, even though it was only two songs, and they were god-awful. Oh, hold Do you on. want to guess? Is it Vin Diesel? Guess? It's Vin Diesel. <laughs> Vin Diesel was <laughs> yeah. one on the 18th. Yeah. Terrible, terrible. Don't listen to his songs. They're so bad. They are okay. awful. Speaking of albums that we did not like, or songs that we did not like, uh, the bassist from Extreme, Pat Badger, was born on the 22nd of July. What a name. I know. What a name. Pat. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Crazy. <laughs> and then on the 27th, uh, Juliana Hatfield, who is who has a had a long solo career, also played in like several other bands. Uh, one that she had a lot of recognition for in uh, most of the albums was a band called Blake Babies. But for those of us who listen to the podcast on a regular basis, they might know her because she was featured on Oh, well, she was a member of the band for two records. She was on the Lemonheads, oh. and she was in the very good iteration of the Lemonheads because she joined the band to be on It's a Shame About Ray, and then the following uh, album, Come On, Feel the Lemonheads. Good. Yeah, she was in the good Lemonheads. She missed Hate Your Friends. Yeah, thank goodness, because I did. Uh, but that's it. That's everything. That's all of July. I have what? nothing else to what say What a to month. You. I know. Not going to lie, Nick. Mostly a real downer. Mostly a Mostly real downer, a real downer of a month. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll do better in August. Yeah, hopefully you will do better. Is news ever good, though? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, it's not good. Uh, but yeah, that's going to wrap us up for July. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it, found some stuff interesting and informative. Maybe, you know, get your, uh, get your fingers ready to do some Googling about some of the information Nick just mm-hmm. gave us. There's a lot of interesting little nuggets that he gave us. Yeah. Uh, not least of which is St. John Coltrane. I know. Fascinating. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, make sure you stay tuned. Uh, next month we'll do August as you know, as we've come to expect. And uh, make sure you're listening to the regularly scheduled weekly Totem Talks podcast. Like I mentioned, we're going live most Thursdays at 5.30. And also we are releasing album, uh, we are releasing episodes, same as always, every Tuesday uh, but they are on a delay, uh, as always. We record on a bit of a delay, so we have a bank just in case something comes up. But the live episodes are, in fact, live, therefore not on a delay. That is correct. So you can always get a chance to hop in early on an episode yeah. and interact directly with us while recording. Yes. We're great to interact with. We're wonderful interactors. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you, Nick, for, for doing all this research oh, on July. I'm going to play the outro here, and uh, we'll get ready to uh, to wrap it up and get ready, already get ready for August. Time Very is sad. really flying through the year 2022 and 1967. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> time is illusion. All right, everybody. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>